Hey, team gang. So what's going on this week? You're going to hear a more raw episode of the big show. There's a lot going on <laughs> around uh, TFR headquarters. So you're going to, you know, not going to be as tightly edited as normal. It's still going to be awesome. So you don't have to worry about that. Just enjoy the occasional more ums and ahs. So this is a special holiday treat for you. Let's get going. Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. And on this very special non-holiday version of the first run, Matt and I are going to discuss what, Matt, your most anticipated film of the year. Yes. It is finally here. Tom Holland stars in John Watts' Spider-Man No Way Home. Marvel's flagship character, Matt, completes his trilogy with laughs, loves, shocks, and thrills. But can it actually meet Matt's lofty expectations? Then, I'm thinking any other weekend would be leading with this. Guillermo del Toro's latest film, Nightmare Alley. Dropped with little fanfare. The former Best Director and Best Picture winner delivers his adaptation of a little-known but classic film noir from 1947, Nightmare Alley. Does Del Toro's imagination improve on the original? Or are we better off leaving things well enough alone? There's the big releases on physical media featuring the streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week, likely delivered by elves since we've since fired, I think, all of our interns. And then Matt and I are going to close out the show by sharing our 10 most anticipated films of 2022. Come on, Avatar 2. But let's start everything off with a clip from Spider-Man No Way Home. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. Parker. Wait a minute, man. What is... He's not Peter Parker? Uh, what are we going to... All right, here's our big question, man. How spoilerly do you want to get? I could stand to get very spoilery, but I don't know if that's fair. So maybe we don't get too spoilerly. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk generally, and then we'll do a quick little heads up, and then we can dig into the, to the meat of that if you want to. That way we give sure. people a heads up. And I'll timestamp it. So you'll know when to speed ahead. Okay. So, all right, Matt, let's start it off. Basically, what is Spider-Man No Way Home all about? All right. So it picks up right after um, Far From Home ends where a J. Jonah Jameson played by J.K. Simmons reveals to the world that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Parker or Spider-Man wants to get everybody to kind of forget that uh, his name was revealed because it's making his life difficult. Doctor Strange agrees to to cast a spell to do that, and it goes horribly, horribly wrong, where it starts bringing in what look like uh, villains we've seen before from other universes. All right, Matt. So, what do you think? Did it live up to your expectations? Was this your favorite film of the year so far? Uh as much as I'm a nerd and like a populist to say this, I think so far, yes. I mean, um, it is. Look, it's absolutely fan service. This is definitely fan service, but it's done in a way that it works. And I enjoyed every bit of it. And the parts that I weren't expecting, I think were incredibly solid. I I say this may actually supplant Winter Soldier as my favorite MCU film at this point. Does it supplant Spider-Man 2 as your favorite Spider-Man movie? Yeah, I think so. I think it Ooh. does. I think I think so. Wow. All right then. Well, I'm I think I'm happy to say that I was wrong. Okay. Right? So I had originally thought that our Doctor Strange here was an evil alternative Doctor Strange, though we can talk about that a little bit at the end. So I'm happy to be wrong about that. One of the big issues that have plagued not just the Spider Man films, but basically superhero movies in general, 
is when our sequels tick off, our villain rosters grow, sometimes exponentially, especially here. So with the introduction of a bunch of these classic villains from some of the other films, how did that work for you? Did that, did, was the film harmed at all by having so many villains to work with? Um, I don't think so, because I think a lot of it, they they sideline them when appropriate. And I think some of the smaller villains that you, I don't, it's not a spoiler to say this, I mean, Lizard and Electro and Sandman are have much smaller roles relatively. I think they focus on um, Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus and Willem Dafoe's uh, Green Goblin. And I think those two really kind of cement and steal the show in a lot of ways. I think especially Willem Dafoe. I thought he was excellent as Green Goblin in this. Yeah, I think it's funny how the Amazing Spider-Man villains are basically kind of sidelined to promote the original Spider-Man trilogy villains of Doc Ock and Green Goblin. It's like even now, right? They're still (laughs) also rants. But uh, yeah, I think... I think the film teeters Matt on the edge of the of a, just a gigantic chasm of fan service, but it never fully falls in. I'm really impressed by how Watson Company are able to balance this film. It goes in directions, Matt, that I did not expect at all, which I was very happy about. It gives Tom Holland's Peter Parker his moments, which I guess we can talk about a little bit later in the spoiler talk that his Spider-Man, I think, hasn't experienced yet in his two prior films. But it does finally happen here. And it may be the most effective Mm -hmm. out of any of the screen versions we've seen of that moment so far. So I think this probably this film also has the most emotional depth out of Holland's entire run. And I think... hmm, I think in in some ways, the way it's... Maybe... All right. I feel like it's I'm I'm teetering too close to the edge myself of spoiler talk. So I'm going to pull it back a bit. I think for the most part, this film really works. I'm not sure, Matt, I can say it's better than Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. But it's the most fully realized version of Peter Parker I think we've had on screen. And if any film could surpass Spider-Man 2 in the MCU, this is it. And I will say, I think this may be the crowning achievement of the MCU. I think yeah. it actually has more emotional resonance than either of the Infinity films. Yeah. Even with their scale and just achievement that they pull off here, right? Because I think a lot of the stuff with the Infinity films is it's kind of hokey and cheesy at times. Yeah, definitely. And there's none of that here at all. And maybe I think that's why it works so well. By working on a smaller scale, though there are grand you know, stakes, Doing on such a smaller scale, and even still with an expanding Spider-Man circle, you're much, it's much easier to connect with these characters and this story than I think a lot of the previous MCU stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think um, I'm with you. I think especially Endgame, it definitely suffers. It's like reading one of those event comic books where it's like so much stuff is kind of corny, but you're along for the ride. Whereas this, again, even though I was like, man... I know this is fan service. I know this is what we want, but I'm I'm so on board with this. I'm enjoying this so much because they're pulling it off so well. And yeah, I, I definitely am very curious to see that what transpires next for Holland's Spider-Man. I think I'm really hoping we get, you know, maybe another trilogy of films with him, you know, as the kind of Peter Parker, more adult version of Peter Parker that we really haven't gotten and I'm really looking forward to see where they go with the character. Yeah. I mean, if they explore the part where he not just becomes a photographer for the, actually, it wouldn't be the Daily Beagle, I guess, now, right? The Bulletin. That's where Ben Yurik worked. Right. Or maybe he becomes a science teacher. I mean, right, yeah. all these different things I think would be really fascinating. Now, Holland said he wants to stop playing it by the time he's 30. He's 25 right. now. Right. Uh, the MCU folks have said they, want, they have a third trilogy already planned for him right. with Holland. Right. So maybe we're just talking money at this point. Yeah, that seems to be the the consensus around. I think his contract's up for negotiation, and I think he's looking to get an RDJ type deal where he gets points off the back end. Um, I think so he, he makes, absolutely should. Yeah, I mean that'll happen. It'll work out. And I think that this film has done exceptionally well at the box office. It's already the number one film of the year. 
Now, granted, it's COVID year, right? So that's not exactly yeah. saying much, but still adjusted. You know, it's doing very, very well. We'll have to revisit at the end of the year, Matt. When we did our, uh, I can't was it call it or what are the odds of what this film was going to end up pulling in box office wise globally? Yeah. So we'll have to revisit that once it's all said and done. But I think just really a triumph for the MCU. I'm really blown away with they're able to pull off, as you said, Alfred Molina, Willem Dafoe almost steal the show. Uh, especially with Defoe, man. He is so great in this. And it was a lot of fun to see some other stuff, which we'll talk about, uh, pop up as well. Is there anything you wanted to say generally about No Way Home before we get into the spoiler talk? Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet and you're a fan of these type of films, um, go see it. Even if there's people that um only kind of tertiary related to this, um, I would still go see it. I guess the only caveat I would have, if you're not very familiar with Spider-Man at all, I'd be really interested to see how much you enjoy these film, this film, because it's, it's relies very heavily on you being versed in at least the movie lore from what's come before. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that, but you're entirely right. If you have no previous experience with any of these characters, this may be like a, what the hell is happening type of moment. Yeah. Why is everybody cheering? Why is everybody so excited? Kind of thing. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Hmm. All right. Well, so I guess, Chris, is is this, where does this fit on the new ranking of the MCU films for you? Has it supplanted Winter Soldier like it has for me? It may have. I have to seriously think about that. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Because I don't really have a lot of negative things to say about it at all. The way it handles its characters is really well done. I love the plot of it. I mean, we'll talk about it in the spoiler part, but it's so it's so cleverly play, you know, just lays it all out and how we get to our point and really magnifies the message of Spider-Man's classic kind of credo, you know? I mean, it's so effectively done. It takes on a perhaps even more importance. So does it surpass Winter Soldier? I think it may. I mm. think it may be the best film they've turned out. It's high praise. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm be honest with you, I'm surprised by that. Yeah. I had my concerns going into this, but yeah, no. I mean, look, I said it even earlier in my when I was talking about it. It's the crowning achievement of the MCU. It is. All right. So nicely done. All right. Well, I, I think I'm gonna have to give it an A. It may be, I think maybe my second A all year, maybe third. But wow. A for me. Uh, I'm giving it an A as well. Uh, we're a little tardy on the updating the report card online. Maybe we can do that in the uh, next week or so to get everything updated. But absolutely, I think it is an A film. So, Matt, if it is an A, give me those details. How did it get to an A? Let's do some spoiler talk here. What are your thoughts? So, if we're talking spoilers, um, talk I, I loved... I was really excited to see Charlie Cox as Daredevil in the very beginning as Matt Murdock making a reappearance. Um, yeah. I'm really curious to see how they bring him back in and um, spoilers for Hawkeye. If you haven't seen it, how Kingpin kind of got back to the level of where he was um, given the events of Daredevil season three, but I like the implications of what that means for the, for the Netflix shows. Cause I'm really hoping they bring Bernthal back for Punisher at some point. Cause he's awesome too. And then I guess, you know, it was great. I really enjoyed seeing Garfield and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man come back. And honestly, I'm really surprised with this, but I was most enjoying Garfield's performance because he seemed to be having like so much fun. Yeah, um, He seemed to have like a real excitement to doing it. And he's actually getting to do a version of Spider-Man that he wanted to do. I, I, I really liked all of them together it was it was fantastic even just them sitting around talking to each other yeah no it was quite enjoyable and i love too that garfield gets his moment of redemption i love yeah. when he talks about what happened to him after gwen stacy passed away in his uh was it first film or second the second film she died right yeah second yeah so but he has that redemptive moment and the the emotion really works and uh that is exceptionally well done with that part mcguire is good and is as well and i, I like you i enjoyed the interplay uh, amongst them all but i think for me the uncle ben moment this time mm. was the most effective thing i've seen on screen 
in any of the Spider-Man films. So we've mm. never had an Uncle Ben in this series. He's there's there's been no, nary a mention, right, of his existence, right. So we're gonna say that's not what it is. So instead, Aunt May takes that hit. So she passes away in this, and the great power, great responsibility speech comes from her. But I think yeah. Matt, what makes it so effective is the cause of her death, right? That even if you're trying to do the right thing, that it could cost you everything and still not work out and turn into an absolute tragedy. Right. And it is so powerful and so well done and it works so well. What are your thoughts about that moment? Yeah, I honestly think it might, I think definitely it's the emotional high point of any of the MCU films, even more than the death of Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this just hits different and we, we know uncle Ben existed in the MCU. There are some passing references to, you know, Ben dying, but it's never implied that Peter Parker blames himself. We don't get that kind of like, I let somebody run past me and it's my fault kind of thing. And I think them kind of building out like this, every version that we've seen of Spider-Man in the MCU, that is his origin story. Like that's what we got to see from soup to nuts. And like, that's going to inform Spider-Man going forward. And I think it was a really smart way to do it. I honestly, I was not expecting the the May death and the way they did it, I thought was just fantastic because it, it hit me in the feels, man. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's perfect. It really is well done. I love the fact too that they're working with these villains matters. The whole point, right, is that they realize at some point that they were all plucked out, the villains, right before they were about to die. Yeah. And if you send them back to where they came from, which is what Doctor Strange says we need to do, they're going to die. So Peter has, has to figure out a way to save them before yeah. they're sent back. The problem is that Defoe's Green Goblin ain't going to have it. There he's slowly, you know, that he has that dual personality thing. He's going crazy. And unfortunately, the goblin personality takes over and sabotages the entire thing. And you know, just Defoe is having an absolute blast in this film. And I don't think this film would have worked as well as it does without him coming back and being that fulcrum, being the focus and the villain of the driving force of everything that happens that goes wrong. So uh, just, yeah, he is so much fun to watch in this. But all the ancillary stuff then that happens afterwards. How the film ends, Matt, what were your thoughts on Peter's ultimate decision to go through with it, to have everybody forget who he is, including MJ? Yeah, it's it kind of brings around the idea of Spider-Man full circle because in the MCU, I think one of the big complaints with Spider-Man's representation or how he's presented is he's not kind of like that put upon struggling person, you know, who has these kind of personal struggles in his life, this kind of pain that you have that he still manages to remain positive as he can be and tries to do the right thing, despite all this kind of undercurrent of tragedy. And now you actually have all that. He had all these heights, you know, trying to save the world, fighting Thanos, all that kind of stuff. And now it's all brought back, crashing down to earth. And I think that's a, I thought it was a really smart way to do it. Yeah, I am really excited for the future, if there is one, which, of course, there's going to be. There's going to be, yeah. But for Tom Holland's Peter Parker, as I said, the most fully realized version I think we've seen on, on screen and the most ex expertly executed version of the character as well. Having all those highs and now we have these depths and this uh, just the sorrow and the tragedy now that he has to deal with. I'm really excited to see what happens next, Matt. And see? The DC guy can love the Marvel MCU movies. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. I had no doubt that you you did like them. It's just that you, I know where your loyalties lie. Then that's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's a flip-flop for me. Although I'm calling it now. What's going to... the way If we get the new trilogy with Holland, he's going to die at the end of it. And that's going to bring around Miles. Because Miles is completely tied into the death of Peter Parker in the uh, comics anyway. And I think that's what's going to bring it around. Interesting. That would be really cool. I mean, I don't want him to die, but still, that would be fun to see. So a couple, let's talk uh, post-credit stuff. Mid-credit sequence, we find out what happens to Eddie Brock mm -hmm. and Venom's appearance in the MCU. And it's going to be, it's a lot more brief than we anticipated, Matt. But yeah. what, so what happens to uh, Eddie Brock and Venom then? 
Yeah, so I guess there's, if we're going comic books, there's two different ways this could go. Um, you could get like an Agent Venom kind of thing, which I think would be incorrect. Um, but what's much more likely is that in the comics, there is a version of Venom where the guy who is Scorpion, who which we've seen, is infected with the, the Venom symbiote. So we get a version of them. And it makes sense because at least that person has a grudge against Spider-Man. And that would kind of lead to the Venom that we always know. Well, so are, do you think that... So basically what happens is... So you know at the end of Venom, right? Where yeah. Eddie Brock shows up. He's, he's at a hotel. And now he's at a bar. And he's there for who knows how long. And then he blips back and he goes back to his universe. But right. there's a remnant of the symbiote still there that kind of crawls yeah. away at the end, right? So are we going to go Spider-Man black costume? I can't tell you how badly I want to see that on the screen. Yeah, I think we do because I think the Secret Wars is basically the next big event film and that would be the perfect place to do it because that's when it happened in the comics. Or we could see Danny Ross, you know, become become Venom himself right. and football, football is life. life. Yeah, now it's symbiote is life. I can't. Uh, so wait, I didn't realize they're doing Secret Wars. I thought they were doing that, Secret Invaders, which was the Scrolls. Secret Invasion. Um, invasion yeah, maybe it is Secret Invasion. I'm not sure, but well, yeah, because Secret Wars is pretty weird, even for for comics, you know. So yeah, um, might be a little hard to pull off. But something, I think it'll be a slight amalgam between the two. We'll have to see what happens with multiverse. Yeah, no, that's true. Man, I got to see that black costume on the big screen. Don't do me wrong, MCU. Good times. All right. And then I think the final, the post-credits, if this is the future of what they're going to do, I don't need to see it. Basically, outside of what, like a 10-second thing, it's a trailer yeah. for the Doctor Strange movie. I felt yeah. kind of cheated. What do yeah. you think? Well, they did that once before. They did it at the end of um, Captain America, the first Avenger, to give a trailer for Avengers. That was the second post credit sequence. And I think if it's very rare, what they're doing is they're resetting the status quo and they need to kind of put that out there. I don't mind them doing it this time, but I, I hope it doesn't become the norm. Same. Oh, well, that was a little bit of a disappointment. But overall, a really fun experience, Matt. We mm -hmm. both gave Spider-Man No Way Home A's. Anything you want to add before we move on? We're going to see, looks like we're going to see evil Doctor Strange and I guess call it. I think we're going to get the X-Men. That's when in the multiverse, I think that's going to start bringing mutants into fan and Fantastic Four possibly into the MCU. So was, was there something there about the X-Men that I missed? No, it's just my, it's just my theory. Okay. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. That's, I guess going to be one of the big villains is the, an evil Doctor Strange. I'm just curious where Kang works into all this stuff too. So, mm-hmm. Have to see, have to see. Have you watched? The, I haven't watched the uh, conclusion of Hawkeye yet. Have you seen it yet? I have. I watched the last episode. Yeah. How was it? Don't tell uh, me honestly. About it. I enjoyed Hawkeye, but I don't. I still think I would rank it after Loki and and WandaVision. I think I'd give it thir third place wow. of the live okay. actions. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch up with it this weekend. Nothing going on this weekend, holiday wise. So, all right. <laughs> Good times. What are your thoughts on Spider Man No Way Home? Just an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, December 28th. It is the end of the year, Matt. And coming up is a film that I was a little lukewarm on, Matt, but featured one of my favorite performances of the year. I don't know if it's going to be enough for me to pick it up, though. His epitaph will be taken verbatim from the stenciled shingle fixed above the door of his inner office. Berenson's article, The Concrete Masterpiece. Three dangling participles, two split infinitives, and nine spelling errors in the first sentence alone. Some of those are intentional. <laughs> the Kremen story, revisions to a manifesto. We asked for 2,500 words, and she came in at 14,000, plus footnotes, endnotes, a glossary, and two epilogues. It's one of her best. Sazerac? Impossible to fact check. He changes all the names and only writes about hobos, pimps, and junkies. These are his people. How about Roebuck Wright? His door's locked, but I could hear the keys clacking. Don't rush him. The question is, who gets killed? There's one piece too many, even if we print another double issue, which we can't afford under any circumstances. A message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Don't cry in my office. That's right, Matt. 
The French Dispatch is being released on physical media this upcoming Tuesday. That performance, of course, I think we both agree, one of the best we saw this year. Jeffrey Wright as Roebuck writes, really, just the tentpole of that entire film. Are you going to be uh, picking up The French Dispatch? Any desire to revisit mm-hmm. that? I I really like his films, but I, I don't think I'll... I haven't really purchased a lot of them. I didn't love it enough, I think, to buy it on physical media. Fair enough. I couldn't find any special features. So, And I'll tell you right now, I think all of... Um, What's his name? Wes Anderson. Dear Lord. All of Anderson's films have been eventually released by Criterion as well, so you may want to hold off. Also coming up is uh, Keep an Eye Out from Quentin Dupie, who, uh, Dupie? Dupois? We'll say Dupois. He's French. He also did Rubber, Mandibles, and Deerskin, a uh, bunch of off-the-wall, kind of odd, funny horror films. And this is his latest about a police officer at a station who must solve a murder case. I hear it's actually quite good and very funny, so I want to check that out at some point. Magnolia is releasing Mayday. Anna is transported to a dreamlike and dangerous land, Matt, where she joins an army of girls engaged in a never-ending war along a rugged coast. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Though she finds strength in this exhilarating world, she comes to realize she's not the killer they want her to be. New to Blu-ray? Mm-mm-mm. Has not been delivered yet. Supposedly coming Monday, Matt. I cannot wait. Shawscope Volume 1 from Arrow, 1972 to 1979. This is their big box set featuring King Boxer, the boxer from Shang Tung, Five Shaolin Masters, Shaolin Temple, Mighty Peking Man, Challenge of the Masters, Executioners from Shaolin, Chinatown Kid, The Five Venoms, Crippled Avengers, Heroes of the East, and Dirty Ho. I, not in a dirty way. Brand new 2K restorations of the films, a brand new 2K master of the longer international cut of Chinatown, um, newly translated English subtitles, hours of bonus features featuring new commentaries, Critic Appreciations, and more. A 60-page book. New artwork. I cannot wait for my Shawscope box set. Have you pulled the trigger on this yet or what? I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm going to let you give me a give me a feedback, a rating score, before I pull the trigger. All right. I was thinking of doing that. I have so many different ideas for the show that I never do because, you know, it's so busy. But now that I have my super nice TV and my super nice 4K player, I wonder if I should start reviewing Blu-ray stuff for the show. Or at least on the website. Yeah, see, I've threatened. I still want to get through that, going through my DVD collection and kind of reviewing each one to see what I'm going to keep or get rid of or if I would upgrade it kind of thing. I think it'd be a fun way to kind of force myself to go through it. But then I actually have to sit down and do it, you know. So that's the hard part, finding the time. That is such a good idea. Like I have my great unwatched series of all the movies I bought that I had ever actually seen. Yeah, I think I churned out three episodes of that. I got to, man, you can find those on the YouTube channel too, folks. Uh, what else we got about Vinegar Syndrome as they're doing their Partners Month. So a bunch of stuff coming out. Big World Pictures are releasing Rebels of the Neon Gold with selected scene commentary. Uh, Altered Innocence is releasing Erebato with a brand new 4K restoration of that. It's what a, a low-budget horror filmmaker gets in touch with his eccentric who is trying to film his consciousness during drug abuse. They're also releasing with Decanalog uh, Detention in 1962, Taiwan, during the White Terror martial law period. Fang Rei Shin, a female student at the Hillside Greenwood High School, is attending counseling with teacher Mr. Chang, and they gradually fall in love. Connie is releasing Being Natural with Vinegar Syndrome in a quiet countryside. The naturalistic family from Tokyo deprived the local man of his place to live. It's a satirical comedy on the Fukushima nuclear power plant disaster. Yikes. <laughs> what else is coming out? Vinegar Syndrome is working with Saturn's core audio and video to release Savage Harvest, which includes a new 2020 retrospective documentary and more. They're working with Terror Vision to release Norway. Photophobic Zano arrives in the big city for the very first time. Matt. The year is 1984 and Athens beckons. A vampire and a fine dancer, Zano, quickly get devoured by the dark underbelly of the capital city. All he really wants is a warm girl. Strung out and down and out, he ends up at a disco called Zardoz. A hive of scum and villainy. Where have I heard that before? Where he meets Alice, a prostitute, and Peter, a Norwegian drug dealer. Lured into the shady shenanigans, the three of them will traverse mountains and descend into the core of the earth, all the way to the kingdom of Mathesalis. Now that movie sounds like a trip. It includes an interview with the director, as well as a commentary. Um, also some behind-the-scenes featurettes and more. Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome, I think it's called, is working with Utopia Distribution to release moments like this never last 
Speaking of Q&A with the director, Cheryl Dunn, and some bonus scenes. They're working with Gunpowder and Sky to release Her Smell. This is the Elizabeth Moss film from uh, about a year or so ago about a self-destructive punk rocker struggling with sobriety while trying to recapture the creative inspiration that led her band to success. And then finally, they're working with Circle Collective to release a movie on Mac called A-Holes. It's the holiday, so I don't want to say the uh, actual A-word. How about buttholes? We'll say that. Nice clean it up for the kids. Ada and Aaron are sober drug addicts who meet in their psychoanalyst waiting room. They have sex, discover they share an anal fetish. Oh, boy. Relapse on poppers, conjure a demon, and kill Ada's brother. When their faces turn into buttholes, Ada's parents stage a reality show intervention to get the couple sober again. I want to see this, but I do not want to see this. It includes new audio commentaries, an archival video commentary, new interviews, and more. Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with Castle Falls. Scott Atkins and Dolph Lundgren. Rival gangs seek out millions of dollars inside a luxury condominium that's scheduled to be demolitioned or demolished. Depends on how you want to say it. But first, they have to deal with a janitor who's found the loot first. What should we be streaming this holiday season, Matt? I'm assuming it's from Shudder. <laughs> how did you guess? Um, that was last week. I uh, So I can't remember if I recommended this, um, but I'm going to cheat in case I didn't. Um, but one of the best movies of the year, I think that uh, me and Chris both really enjoyed um, Pig starring Nicolas Cage is available on Hulu for your, mm. you know, viewing pleasure. Um, and if you aren't in the mood for that, you know what? Why don't you revisit one of the Netflix series? I've been rewatching uh, Daredevil and it's a lot better than I remember. So I would recommend sitting down and watch that, especially the third season. Which I have never seen. But I cannot... Stress enough, Matt's selection of Pig. One of my favorite films of the year. One of the few movies actually emotionally move me this year. Really great stuff. Speaking of emotional movements, Matt, why don't we spend a few minutes and talk about Guillermo del Toro's latest film, Nightmare Alley. Mr. Carla. Come in. Slow day. Have you not heard? We're at war. I'm aware. How did you know it was me? What brings you here? You left me your card, didn't you? So? Here we are. Oh, not me. I never drink. Microphones. That's right. Wire recorder. Are you recording this? No. My office is wired to record all analysis sessions. You got a smoother line, but you run a racket. Same as me. Is that what this is? So, Matt, Bradley Cooper plays Stanton Stan Carlisle. He's on the run from something. And he joins up with a carnival, and he's kind of grows amongst their ranks and becomes what's referred to as a mentalist, somebody who can allegedly, apparently read your mind. He then finds great worldwide success doing this, but he maybe goes a step too far and everything comes crashing down. Nightmare Alley, Matt, is an adaptation of a film noir from, what is it, 1947, I believe, and which is currently available on the Criterion channel, by the way. You can watch the OG with Tyrone Power. And I like to get hyperbolic on this show every now and then, Matt. It's kind of my thing. And I think the ending of this film, which I don't want to talk about, I will not spoil this for you, is one of the biggest kind of gut punches I've seen of the past 10 years. And I did not see it coming. And it absolutely floored me. When everything, then when Del Toro pulls all the strings together and everything comes neatly together again after everything we've seen, I was floored by this film. What were your thoughts on Nightmare Alley? So I had seen the trailers for this film, but I went in very blind. I honestly, I'll be, I'll admit, given who the director was, I was expecting something more supernatural, especially from what I saw in the trailers. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get that. It is much more of a classic, if there is such a thing, film noir. But I was pretty riveted while I was watching this. And I agree that final ending is some bleak dark stuff and it fits perfectly i think for the genre for del toro 
and I thought it was just um, excellently pulled off. Um, now you said that you may you did you see the original finish it? I I did, but I watched it after watching Del Toro's. Okay. Now, how close does it hew to the original? Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. Um, the ending, Del Toro cuts off the last five minutes of the original. He doesn't redo that at all. The okay. um, the original one isn't quite as nihilistic as Del Toro's version. Okay. But it's good. And in some ways, I think it's superior. I think um, in other ways, it's not. I think that uh, it's a much more traditional, I think, film noir. But it's a lot darker, I think, than some of the noir you may even be familiar with at the time. And it's putting it in this carnival setting was a really interesting idea. Um, I think what Del Toro's film exceeds or succeeds on and improves on is that what he it's just what he does, right? So he's able to create these just vivid, lived-in worlds. That they just transport you to. I think he does this better than maybe anybody working right now. Better than Nolan. Better than Villanueva. I mean, name it. I don't think anybody builds a world like Del Toro does. From the design of this film, the palette, the shot selection, the dissolves, everything in this film is perfectly composed. Where you could have an issue, Matt, with it is that Del Toro's film breathes more than the original. There's a lot more shown than told. So where the original, there's these long scenes with people like Richard Jenkins, that doesn't happen. In the original, it's much more, he relays it, right? It's gotcha. much more exposition in mm-hmm. the OG than it is in here. But he's able to build it more and create just, I think, a better experience. It's much creepier. It's much more disturbing. It's much more unsettling in Del Toro's Nightmare Alley than it. And listen, the original is really good. All right. Don't, I don't want you to think I didn't like it. But, Del Toro's is just a more adult film. It's it's just a deeper experience. And I think it works better for that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, there are limitations and there are differences in storytelling, how they told stories back then. So this is probably much more sophisticated, if I had to guess. Absolutely. And now, I may struggle with, not the conclusion, but the reveal. The turn, right? The mm-hmm. prestige, if you will, when we find sure. out what's happening. Uh, I think the film's pacing, though I think important for the finale, weakens Blanchett's arc. So Kate Blanchett is in this film, and she plays this kind of femme fatale, her doing her best Veronica Lake. And I, th- I think it's really interesting, but I think that Del Toro's how do I put this? His storytelling in the film, where we spend a lot of time at the carnival uh, to kind of really tie everything together at the end, weakens her arc just a little bit. I don't know, Matt. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, she takes a long time to show up in the film, and then, you know, you're right. She kind of serves her purpose. She kind of gets her point of the plot going and then she's kind of removed and it's almost like a secondary thought like she was this agent of you know this this devil appealing to his baser nature kind of thing and then just kind of disappears once she's she's ruined him i didn't have a problem with it um Mm -hmm. but i think you're right i think it's it's kind of weird that it just so abruptly ends it is a little bit jarring when you think about it yeah I listen, I think every scene she in is in is a, is a high for the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movements, her facial expressions, just her, how her body kind of glides around at times. And then, and then she'll talk to him and then she'll shift her head just a little bit. And it's just every one of these delicate touches just underlays how what I just don't want to reveal too much. But what's really going on in the film, right? And it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful, though I will say again, the ending of this film is one of the most horrifying things I've seen. I think more terrifying than some of the horror films we've seen this year. Even something as brilliant like as, and I use that word, and I'm not, I am not accidentally using it. Something as brilliant as like Malignant, right? I think even the ending of this, though, is perhaps even more horrifying because of the implication of everything that Del Toro has laid out before us ahead of time, right? That moment when Cooper drops that last line about 
mm, just I don't want to yeah. say it. Just it's terrifying and it sends a shiver down your spine. I think there's any other weakness in the film, it may be Cooper at times. I don't know if he's the right guy for this, but right. I think he in the end delivers what he needs to deliver. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's it's solid all around. I think it's it's definitely up there for um, film noirs. And I, I believe even as bleak as it is, I think it definitely deserves a second viewing just because, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of go back knowing how you, you knowing how the story ends to see how it's all set up and plays out and foreshadows from before. Yeah. And I think just, again, like almost all Del Toro's films, you just want to revisit it just to how lush it is and just to live in this world, even though it's, you know, it's terrifying, it would probably kill you. But other <laughs> uh, couple things, too. I think the OG may do better, which, again, as I said, is on the Criterion channel right now. I think Tyrone Powers' version of Stan sells the self-grandeur and the delusion, I think, better, the self-delusion, mm-hmm. I think, better than Cooper does. I think Del Toro's appearance of the ghost, air quotes, is better. Mm-hmm. But I liked Edmund Goulding, the original director's staging of that scene better. And again, like I say, I think Del Toro breathes much more into this film. It's a much darker experience. And I think it works for that. Um, yeah. I don't know, Matt. I'm giving Nightmare Alley an A-. minus. What about you? Same. A-. minus. Any other parting thoughts on Del Toro's latest? No. I mean, Del Toro, was, I've always found him to be an exciting director. And I, honestly, I just wish that he got the chance to direct more man i want to see is in the mountains of madness that's what it is the lovecraft adaptation yeah yeah well apparently netflix is interested and his his exact words will maybe we won't be able to spend as much money but we're going to be able to make it a lot weirder which really from coming from him is really interesting to hear mm-hmm. man that's like one of the big projects i've that have been shelved that i've always wanted to see i have this great book about what are like the best films that were never made I think yeah. it's out of print now, but you might be able to find it online pretty cheap. But um, his project of that is something I've desperately wanted to see for, God, what, 10, 20 years now. Um, quick question before we wrap it up, Matt. Nightmare Alley, dropped by 20th Century Films, let's be honest, Disney, to go yeah. up against Spider-Man. Same company. Last Duel yeah. dropped yeah. with almost no fanfare. They have basically canceled the release of that George George Clooney, that Ben Affleck um, Aramis uh, erotic thriller. They took okay. it off the shelves. It's called Deep Water. It's supposed to come out January 14th. Not on the calendar. Okay. What is going on? Is Disney just sabotaging these 20th Century Fox films, releasing what they have to? Yeah, we'll put our same, same company's movie up against Spider-Man. What could go wrong? Right. Maybe it's more like um, this is Might the old guard paranoid? stuff. I mean, no, I think it's probably, if I had to guess, it's probably, this is old guard stuff. You know, this is stuff we didn't really have involvement, but it's, you know, it's, we own it now and it's in the bag. So we might as well release it. I think for this, I think you could make it a case that they are kind of putting it out there as Oscar bait and they didn't have a lot of time to kind of try and get that in so they could make it eligible for the Oscars. And, you know, maybe their thought process was, as much as popular as the MCU is, not everybody's into it. So this is the polar opposite. So if somebody's looking for that type of film, this is the one to go see. I would, but you don't counter program your own film. I guess, but I mean, when else are they going to do it? I mean, really, um, if they're if they're hoping to get this in for Oscar consideration, they only had like two weeks to do it. So yeah. I don't see what necessarily what choice they have. I don't know. And I should clarify, it's not a 20th century film. It's a searchlight film, which was yeah. the independent arm of 20th century Fox. Right, right. Uh, the biggest budget searchlight's ever had, $60 million. And really? it's only pulled in about, it's pulled in under four. Wow, that's crazy. That's a hard um, sell. It really is a hard sell. Yeah. This but you think it would have been better off pushing it out into like the January, February doldrums when there's nothing out and it could get some word of mouth? Maybe. Or like even a Halloween kind of thing, perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. Too bad. We both really liked it. What are your thoughts? Have you seen Nightmare Alley? Am I just paranoid? Disney's not trying to sabotage all this stuff, right? <laughs> Let us know. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. But Last Duel is great. Mm-hmm. And they did no promotion for that, basically. All right. Let's move on, Matt. Let's wrap the show up and share our 10 favorite films. 10 favorite films. 10 most anticipated films of 2022. 
Those trees were sacred to the Omotakai in a way you can't imagine. Uh, you know what? You throw a stick in the air around here, it's going to land on some sacred fern, for Christ's sake. I'm not talking about some kind of pagan voodoo here. I'm talking about something real, something measurable in the biology of the forest. Which is what exactly? What we think we know is that there is some kind of electrochemical communication between the roots of the trees like the synapses between neurons. And each tree has 10 to the fourth connections to the trees around it. And there are 10 to the 12th trees on Pandora. Which is a lot of guessing. It's more connections than the human brain. Get it? It's a network. It's a global network and the Navi can access it. They can upload and download data, memories, at sites like the one you just destroyed. Yes. What the hell have you people been smoking out there? <laughs> I love Fern Gully. Matt, that's right. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, Avatar 2 is coming out this year. Or next year, I should say. 2022. Is that going to happen? Uh, yeah, I think so. I believe it. Now, whether anybody's going to care, that'll, be, that'll remain to be seen. Because I certainly don't care. No. December 16th, folks. If you've been waiting now for... Has it been 10 years? Longer? Maybe. I can't even tell. You can uh, check out Avatar too. All right, Matt. Why don't you go... You know what? I'll go first. We'll give you the uh, ultimate number one. What do you say? Okay. Okay. Sounds fair. Good times. All right. I just looked at my list and I realized I have two number tens. No. No, oh, boy. <laughs> now you got to make a choice. I do. Ah. <laughs> uh... All right, you know what? I got to go with the director of my favorite film from, was it two years ago? So Yorgos Lanthimos is returning with Poor Things, featuring Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, and Rami Youssef. Upon drowning herself to escape her abusive husband, a woman has her brain replaced with the brain of her unborn child by her father. Wow. Do I want that to be my number 10? Because the other one was showing up with Kelly Reichert's new film with Michelle Williams, who did one of my favorite movies, Wendy and Lucy. Uh, it's a vibrant, sharply funny portrait of an artist on the verge of a career-changing experiment. Excuse me, exhibition. That's very different. As she navigates family, friends, and colleagues in the lead-up to her show, the chaos of life becomes the inspiration for her great art. See, where do you choose between those two? I, I just go with your heart, I guess. I'm going to go with Poor Things, number 10. What do you got? All right. All right, my number 10, um, there's very little information about it, but it is one of my favorite films, and I'm, I'm really hoping that as these progress these films that are made of this this author's work get better, but they are actually going to release a, a, a proper film version of Salem's Lot in 2022. Um, looking at the cast, it is a bunch of character actors and unknowns, so I don't know how good this is going to uh -oh. turn out to be. But yeah, it's basically the story of a small town in Maine that gets taken over by vampires, written by Stephen King, and I think it's probably one of his more solid works. So I'm really looking forward to see what they can pull off. Cause there are some really, really creepy effective scenes in that book. Mm -hmm. I think I started to watch the TV movie, the original one with uh, David soul. Yeah. And I just never, I don't know. I had to go to bed and I never went back to it. So I don't know what that tells you. Are you a fan of the OG Salem's lot? The TV series It's sure. definitely shows its age. If you watch it now, it's, it's definitely falls into a kind of campy type of thing. Fair enough. My number nine then, Matt, like for sure, like totally legit for sure. I'm positive, I think. And it's going to be <laughs> Crimes of the Future, the latest film from David Cronenberg featuring Viggo Mortensen, Leah Sado, and Kristen Stewart. Uh, it's a deep dive into the not-so-distant future in which humankind is learning to adapt to its synthetic surroundings. This evolution moves humans, Matt, beyond their natural state and into metamorphosis, which alters their biological makeup. So Cronenberg getting back into that sci-fi body horror stuff. I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed his diversion out of that with what History of Violence and Eastern Promises. But Cronenberg and Mortensen is a pairing I need to see. So Crimes of the Future at some point in 2022 is my number nine. All right. So my number nine is a film by um, a director who you know, made one of my favorite films probably about three or four years ago. Um, it's Babylon, which is the new film from Damien Chazelle. Mm -hmm. um, it's not much known about the plot. It's rumored. To, it's, it's definitely going to be a period drama. It's supposed to be set in old Hollywood, which may raise some red flags, but I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt to go check it out. Um, stars, uh, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, 
Um, I think Toby Maguire and Samara Weaving are also in this film. So I enjoyed Damien Chazelle's other work, at least enough to think that it's interesting. And some of it I really do love. So I'm, I'm curious to check this out. Yeah, basically my number 11, or I guess technically 12, right? Uh, <laughs> after First Man, which I think is really interesting and purposely dull, which is a weird thing to say, but I think it is. It's because it's supposed to be a character study. Right. He dropped out of my top 10, unfortunately. My number eight, though, is probably going to really upset Matt. So if you disconnect right now, I totally understand. I'll just carry on and finish things up. July 8th, Thor, Love and Thunder. That low, huh? My number eight. Indeed it is. Did we get to see it's uh, Taiki Waititi returns to direct the latest adventure of Thor. How he was able to turn Thor into one of my favorite MCU heroes still blows my mind. But um, we return. And I know very little about Love and Thunder. I know Natalie Portman comes back, right? It's Jane Foster. And I think she's going to become Thor at some point. I don't know if they're going to go down. And I'm loosely... I have a loose grasp, map of the comic arc with her mm-hmm. as Thor. But I understand right. she's like dying of cancer. So right. she's but able to lift the, the hammer and become the uh, you know Thor for a while. I don't know. Let's we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's my eight. Okay. Um, all right. So my number eight is um, a film by uh, David Leach, who is the director or co-director on the John Wick films, uh, directed uh, Atomic Blonde and Nobody, which we really liked. This one is called Bullet Train. Um, it's basically an actioner where five assassins board a high-speed train in Tokyo with the same target, I guess, and they have to compete against each other. Um, starring Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Zazie Betts, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I am very curious. I've enjoyed, at least found all of his this this director's work to be enjoyable. So I'm all for another uh, gung-fu, bullet-time, whatever uh, actioner from this guy because he hasn't let me down yet. Nice. Yeah, an honorable mention for me as well. It does look interesting. My number seven then may upset Matt as well. And it may be upset that it's actually above my number eight, but I got to keep it reals. It's Mission Impossible 7 coming out on okay. September 30th. Tom Cruise, I think, no franchise, action franchise, has delivered consistently more than the MI franchise has. So I uh, cannot wait to see what happens next. And why it's ahead of Thor, Matt? I'll be perfectly honest with you, is because when I look at these series, I have watched Thor Ragnarok, I think, twice now. Okay. I have watched that run of basically Mission Impossible 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. Probably three, three, four times. Okay. They're the ones I revisit the most. So I got to give it to uh, my boy Tom. Uh, number seven is my number seven, September 3rd. Okay. Very good. All right. So my number seven is the latest film from Robert Eggers. Um, it's called The Northman mm-hmm. about a um, Viking played by, um, is, it, is that the Skarsgård we're talking about here? I believe so. Um, basically gone a, a um, quest of revenge against his uncle who killed his father and usurped his throne. Um, period piece, Robert Eggers stars Anya Taylor-Joy as well. I'm all for this because it, I'm all about a bloody period piece where people are hacking each other to death with swords. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I have never heard of that. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> My number six then is the latest film from Alex Garland who gave us dread. He gave us, um, what's the Alicia Vikander film I'm, I'm blanking on with the human robot. What's the name oh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going with Garland's men um, date to be determined. It's about a young woman who goes on a solo vacation in the English countryside after the death of her ex-husband. Sounds hilarious. But uh, I cannot wait to see. And I should be fair, right? Alex Garland allegedly ghost-directed Dread, right? He didn't didn't actually direct it. He wrote it. Sure. But either way. Yeah. So Men is my number six. Interesting. All right. Well, so now we're going to start to get into the part where I let my nerd pop, you know, in... Tentpole mm. film show because I I don't care. This is my list and this is what I'm excited for. Um, so my number six is um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I'm very interested to see what they do with this. This is the third in the Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly Ant-Man films, which I have to say I may be in the minority, but I really like them. I think they're pretty strong and I think they're underappreciated for MCU films. And I'm really interested to see what they do with this whole quantum realm thing and what that kind of does to the, the MCU. Yeah, uh, no. Nope. I mean, it's it on my honorable mentions, I guess, because of Kang. 
but that's that's all I can give you. My number five, then, in the spirit of the holiday season, which may break Matt, but I'm going to tell you, it's my number five. You should be happy it's on my list, though. <laughs> and it's Into the Spider-Verse 2 there. Okay. Spider-Man, that first film, Matt, up until, whoa, wait a minute. Like, that was felt we was like the best Spider-Man film ever made. Yeah, we did. So, a little sidebar, Your Honor, if I may. Mm-hmm. Is Far From Home better than Into the Spider or Spider? What is that first one called? I can't remember the name of it. Into the Spider Verse, yeah. It is. Oh, so what's the new one then? It's called something Across else. Across the Spider Verse. Thank you for mm-hmm. correcting that on me. October seventh, there's a new animated Spider Verse thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Where sidebar? Where do you got it? Yeah, I th- I think No Way Home gives it a slight edge. Good times. But I really like Spider Verse a lot. Well, it's my number five, Matt. I'm assuming that you'd probably surprised it even made my list, right? Not really. I think you have some taste. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, what do you got? My number five then is um, I don't know if it'll make Chris's list, but John Wick Four. I'm you know I like the John Wick series. I have a lot of fun with them. They're an action series. I think it's probably the strongest action series. Sorry, Mission Impossible that there is out there right now. So um, yeah, John Wick Four. Yeah, it's right outside my list. It's actually not in my top 10 because that third film, I rewatched that third film about two months ago and the Holly Berry stuff with the dogs still doesn't really work for me at all. No. And the mythology of it, it's just getting, it's too dense. I'm going to like it. I'm going to have fun watching it, but I'm not super excited about it. It's, it's not in my top 10. It's probably 13, 12, 13. So then my, where are we at? My number four. Yeah. I didn't even know this film was coming until I saw the trailer for it about two weeks ago. And it rocketed up to number four, top of the charts. <laughs> and that is Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, featuring Michelle Yeoh. And it is a weird, multidimensional action film, martial arts thing. If you haven't seen a trailer for this thing, check it out immediately. It looks insane. And I'm going to love everything about it. This is the two guys who did Swiss Army Man. Okay. So I can't wait to check this thing out. It looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. And I don't have to wait that long. March 25th. Everything, all right. everywhere, all at once. Good. All right. Well, my number four is another entry in March. And it's going to be, I think, the big entry in March. Um, it's Matt Reeves' The Batman. Um, my one my one concession to the DC universe in this. Um, I am excited to see what they do. Um you know, I really like Batman. He's a great character. So I'm interested to see what Pattinson does with, you know, since he doesn't like to work out or anything like that. So we'll see. Yeah, they have that one scene in the trailer where they get the shot of him from the back. And he looks relatively ripped. So I wonder if they used a body double for that or if that is actually yeah. him. Or they yeah. just maybe CGI'd him to bulk up a bit. I don't know. <laughs> I did. I, I thought about that though whenever I see that scene. All right. My number three then, Matt is on your list already. That's Eggers is the Northman. Give me some mm. revenge Viking stuff. I love... Nicholas Winding Refn's, of course, uh, Valhalla Rising, right? And But you want to see? give me a gothic kind of dark revenge fantasy thing with Vikings, especially with Regers' work, which I've loved both of his films? Sign me up. April 22nd. I'll see you there in the theaters. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, but my number three is your number eight. So Thor Love and Thunder cracked my top three. That is how much Ooh. I like Thor Ragnarok and how much confidence I have in Taika Waititi to give me something that I'm absolutely going to love. And to answer your question, the lore of the comic, although I never read it, I, from what I understand, Thor becomes unworthy to wield Mjolnir and he kind of goes off and does his own thing. And Jane Foster becomes... Thor because she is worthy to wield it, but she also is terminally ill. And the only thing keeping her alive is, is when she's Thor. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. My number two, then Matt decision to leave no official date yet coming out in 2022 at some point, but the latest film from one of the greatest living directors who did some just stone cold classic movies such as, Oh, I don't know. Old boy. Lady Vengeance, The Handmaiden, which blew me away. Currently available on Amazon Prime. Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook. It's about a detective who falls from a mysterious widow as she becomes the prime suspect in his latest murder investigation. I cannot wait to see this. Number two, at some point next year. 
Interesting. All right. Well, let's keep the let's keep the the blockbusters going for me. Um, so my number my number two is Multiverse of Madness. I think what really makes me most interested in this is that it's directed by Sam Raimi, um, which we haven't seen in a long time. And you know, he's a director that some people on here really like, or at least like a portion of his work. Um, so I'm curious to see what he brings to the table and if he can bring a bit of a style to it. Uh, yeah, there were some issues online where they did some reshoots and fans were freaking out. Listen, folks, reshoots are not a big deal. There's not right. a reason to panic. They sometimes you maybe you miss the coverage here or there, or maybe you want to tweak a particular scene or add something to fill. You know, don't if you see reshoots, it's not a reason to panic. It's not a big deal. Usually. Sometimes it is, <laughs> but usually not. <laughs> Matt, so what's my number one? What's the one film I haven't mentioned? Uh of of mine, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if multiverse would make your list at this point. So I don't know. It's the Batman. It's Matt Reeves' Batman, Batman oh, film. There you go. Uh, it's a Batman movie. Uh, I have to check it out, and I'm very very excited to see what Pattinson does with the role. The trailer we've seen so far looks great. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of that third Planet of the Apes film that Reeves did. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. But I've liked and adored some of his other work. And I'm really curious to see his spin on the Batman. It is my most anticipated film of 2022. All right. I can't fault you for that. You know, I'm going to go talk about my favorite superhero because surprisingly enough, or maybe surprised no one, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is really my, my number one. I was incredibly surprised by the original. I couldn't believe how much I liked that version of Spider-Man um, and what they did with that. So I'm really curious to see. I, can they catch lightning in a bottle again? Probably not, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt to try. Good for you. So mainstream Matt comes through again, and then uh, we have pretentious <laughs> art house Chris. Yeah, Chris Satteron is just trying to putting all of his favorite directors into IMDb just to see if any of them had mo- movies coming out in uh, 2022. <laughs> really? Because as we all know. You don't know shit, Chris. So <laughs> there you go. All right, Matt, give me your honorable mentions. All right. So honorable mentions, um, MI7. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i not in love with that series as much as you are, but, I, but they are really good. So I am curious to see it. Um, Black Adam, I'm like morbidly curious because mm-hmm. I really liked Shazam probably a lot more than Chris did. So, but I'm not a huge fan of The Rock because I don't really see him putting out that many good movies. So we'll see what happens. And then I'm really waiting for Jordan Peele to blow me away with Nope. Um, I didn't think Us was that great. Um, I thought I get it was good, but I didn't think it was particularly scary as a horror movie. So I'm really kind of hoping he kind of lives up to his hype and potential for me. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, December 16th. An honorable mention list. You mentioned Nope. We talked about Avatar 2, jokingly. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, supposed to land on November 11th. Yeah. We talked about Doctor Strange, John Wick, Black Adam, The Flash, November 4th. No Top Gun Maverick for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to see it, and I think it's going to be a nice hit of nostalgia, but... Top Gun is like the 80th of 80s movies. Like it is just a cheese ball fest. And I have some nostalgia for it as a kid, but I can't say I'm super excited about it. Fair. Um, you uh, talked about Babylon. Knives Out, the sequel. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited mm-hmm. to check that out. Didn't quite, quite crack my top 10. Disappointment Boulevard, coming out at some point next year, is Ari Aster's newest film with Joaquin Phoenix. But this one's supposed to be more of a comedy drama with maybe some horror so let's we'll see how that works out uh ty west matt who gave us house of the devil just a wonderful horror film from the uh was it early mid-aughts mm-hmm. early aughts i can't remember now uh, but it's called x uh, no date yet to be determined and then of course we talked about deep water that's the ben affleck Ana de Amris film that's been shelved it's about a well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce and becomes the prime suspect in the disappearance of her lover's and then, just for you, Matt, Infinity Pool, the latest film from Brandon Cronenberg. Oh. Because we all loved uh, his last movie, which I ended up buying for some reason. <laughs> Even though you said that you never wanted to watch it again. It was like five, four or $5. I couldn't help myself <laughs> in case I wanted to see it again. The first uh, pro-family Annihilator movie that uh, I think I had ever uh, seen before. But, uh, yeah. I don't know what to expect after Possessor. 
but we'll see what he comes up with with Infinity Pool. I'm sure there's some other independent stuff that we missed, other things that'll be coming out. What films are you most excited to see next year? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week, it's the holidays. Things are a bit in flux. We will be talking about Matrix Resurrections. Um, the second film is currently open. We'll have to see how that turns out. In the meantime, everybody, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll read it on the air. And uh, I guess that'll be it, right, Matt? Anything you want to tell the fine folks this weekend? Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, even though we're recording this and this will come out, uh, I don't know if it'll come out after the holiday, but enjoy time with your families, enjoy whatever holiday you celebrate. And, um, you know, thanks for a good 2021 from the, the first run here. There you go. Thank you everybody for listening. Please take care of yourselves. Get that booster and we'll see you on the flippy flop. Jail!